You're listening to Pull the Thread Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Douglas. I'm a celebrity tailor, a creative entrepreneur, and a wild Mustang tamer. I took a brother home sewing machine and a $30 Craigslist desk and built a sewing business that supports a life I love while generating hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue each year using a needle and thread. Now it's hard for me even to wrap my head around those numbers and it definitely didn't come easy, but if there's one thing I love doing, it's helping others shorten their learning curve. I'm here to share what I've learned about entrepreneurship and business building as it applies to craft-based work and open up about what I wish I knew when I first started. I'm sharing every tool, trick, and business process I've learned from costuming celebrities, manufacturing clothing, and selling products so that you can stop questioning your skills and start profiting from your work. So you ready? Let's go. Here we go. Episode one. I'm so excited and this is just completely insane because I've wanted to start a podcast for over a year now um, and it just never aligned. It never felt like the right time and it it never felt like the right move at the right time and it's finally feeling right and things are just coming together um, with the amount of time that I can dedicate to it. And so, yeah, here we go. Got a mic. Let's do this. Let's go. Um, at the time that I'm recording this, it's actually New Year's Eve. Uh, I have finished my quarantine from being sick with COVID. Um, I was sick for Christmas. That was really hard because like many of you, it was my first Christmas alone. And it has been a heck of a wild year here in Gotham. I mean, in Nashville. Um, you know, we started off the year, I personally signed a lease on my dream workspace, um, And I started off the year that way. A few days after that, uh, crazy tornadoes blew by, um, just devastation everywhere. It hit the barn where I board my horse. Um, Just we're still in a state of disrepair here since March. Um, And then COVID hit just about a week later uh, and Nashville shut down as a city for the rest of the year. (laughs) Um, And then Christmas Day, uh, a bombing happened less than a mile from me, um, so less than a mile from the workspace and my home, um, and so that that was wild. Yep, um, but you know what? Like, even given all of that, I am just I still see the mercies and the positives in every day, and I'm still completely thrilled to be here with a mic able to share some of what I know about a topic that I just, I love in a way that you could benefit from it. So let's dive in. Um, There is just something beautiful and powerful and historical and delicate about fabric. If you know anything about fibers and weaving, you probably look at any big piece of fabric like I do with wonder because you know just how much had to happen for it to land in your hands. Fabrics and garments have defined and changed and advanced and shaped the world that we live in. It's given us warmth and protection. It's denoted status. It's conferred personal decoration and identity and It's provided an outlet for talent and ingenuity. We sleep in it. We sit on it to watch TV. We clothe ourselves in it and we use it to tell the world who we choose to be that day. Now, it's been this way for a long time. The production of cloth and clothing was integral to the global economy in numerous cultures. 
Those who could sew hides and fabrics together when we were living in caves were esteemed to the same status as those who could hunt and gather food because average temperatures during the ice age where humans inhabited was negative four degrees. So yeah, okay, they might not have been called a tailor, but they were still pretty dang valuable. Now the industry of fabric is older than pottery or metallurgy and maybe even agriculture and stock breeding. The cloth is the original technology. Honestly, if all the working women behind the scenes had anything to say about it, I'm pretty sure the Iron Age would have probably been called the Age of Cotton. But it goes further. You know, without the fabric industry, the Mona Lisa would never have been painted. Have you ever heard of the Statue of David? You've heard of Leonardo da Vinci. You've heard of Michelangelo, right? The Basilica di San Lorenzo. You do know the Italian Renaissance was funded by the wealth created from the production and the sale of textiles. The Medici family were involved in the production of woolens, and they became the bankers of Europe during the 15th century. So there's that. I'm telling you all of this because I think it's important that I remind you, before we dive into this business of sewing, just how important and relied upon your trade is. The process of making fabric, like I said, it's the original technology, but I bet you probably haven't thought about it in terms of computing. In 1801, Joseph Marie Jacquard invented a loom that made it possible to mass produce textiles with complex woven patterns. This was a game changer because Jacquard's and other intricate wovens took tons of time and skill to make. His jacquard loom used a piece of cardboard with holes punched in it to tell you exactly how to weave patterns into your fabric. It was essentially the first programming. Later on down the road, an American engineer copied the cardboard punch card system to help record census data. His firm eventually became part of the International Business Machines, also known as IBM. The jacquard loom is an obvious example of just how important of a part fabric plays in the economy and the history of the human race. But as you now know, there are way older examples of this. But what we do, it's not only the backbone of numerous global, global economies, it's also legacy. The spacesuit that won first place in July 1965 at NASA was made by hand on a sewing floor populated entirely by women, seamstresses, pattern cutters. And makers using adapted Singer sewing machines, standard pattern templates, and skills both inherent and honed from years of making women's underwear at Playtex. Pins were forbidden on the floor and an x-ray machine was installed to scan each layer of fabric for impermeability. I remember reading about this a while back and what was so neat about it was that they had all of their Singer sewing machines adapted to only sew one stitch at a time so that they could make sure that every single line was absolutely perfect because it was a matter of life and death. Now, later on in 2015, Elon Musk would hire a costume designer who had created the looks for films such as Spider-Man and Wonder Woman and X-Men, and then he would reverse engineer it to make it functional for flight. So by now, I really hope you recognize that your craft is freaking important and that your skills have worth, whether it's an ice age going on or a space race happening, or yes, even during a pandemic. You are important and valuable and you can do truly great things with that humble skill of yours.
So that's something to chew on. Now, with that being said, when it comes to business, I am not special. (laughs) I was not born with a special gene that imparted everything that I needed to know to be profitable at sewing from day one. In fact, I'm pretty sure I made mistakes every single day for my first year in business. And if it weren't for some amazing mentors and some accelerated learning experiences and pivoting the second I learned new info, the business probably wouldn't have made it to year two. I want to teach what I've learned because if you're listening to me right now, you can do what I did. You can absolutely build and grow a successful, profitable craft-based business. So I want to be clear on what's going to be covered here on Pull the Thread. I have always felt like there's so much information out there to teach you how to sew and the tricks from the pros and how to do it quickly and well. But as far as business advice for people who sew and craft, for those of us who are creative brained, there really hasn't been too much seasoned advice in this space in the way that I want to convey it and give it to you. So I will be diving deep into topics surrounding entrepreneurship that matter to me and answering questions like, How do I make my craft profitable? How do I market my craft-based business? How do I brand craft-based businesses? How do I get my clients to pay me more? (laughs) How do I know I'm producing my craft as profitably as possible? Now, before I jump into teaching, I want to give you a little bit of background on me and exactly what I've done that's formed and shaped what I know about running craft-based businesses. I've been sewing for about 20 years. I've been selling handmade products for about 10 years, and I've been running my business in Nashville for four years now. I own a service-based sewing business called Music City Sewing. We operate out of a 3,500 square foot gorgeous loft. It's my dream workspace, like I said, and it's got original wood floors from wall to wall and these wooden beautiful big beams coming up through the floor um, and high ceilings and Half of the walls are full of windows and my great aunt's mirrors sit in the corner and they reflect the light in from those windows at magic hour. And honestly, it's one of my favorite places to be. And most of the time it's messy and there are projects everywhere and there's fabric hanging out in every corner. And you know what? Like it just makes me smile and grin from ear to ear. And I'm sure you can hear it because it's mine and it's what I built and I'm so proud of it. Um, In under four years, I've been able to go from cutting bridesmaids dresses on my bedroom floor and sewing them on a Brother Project Runway home machine to costuming rock stars and providing merch for nationwide and international tours. What started out as me driving my broken down Jeep around town on an empty gas tank has literally become a booming business that repeatedly does six figures every year using a needle and thread. My work has been featured in Vogue twice, once with me next to it. Uh, It's been in front of crowds of 40,000 to 60,000 people in stadiums worldwide. I even saw it on a segment by Tan France and Alexa Chung once. Um, You name it, I feel like I've done it. Um, And that's so weird to say because there's so much. I mean, there's so much that I still want to do and accomplish. I also feel like you... That is like I'm just getting started. 
Now I could do an entire podcast on imposter syndrome and I'm sure I will, but I had to get really clear about that from the start that I'm going to be honest with you and that I am still learning and adapting and adjusting, especially after a year like 2020. So back in 2011, I was completely broke. I was finishing up college. I used coupons to buy string cheese and I was the queen of side hustles. I had started an Etsy store and I was selling quilts and coupon organizers. And so if you don't know what coupon organizers are, basically uh, you're young because there was this TV show and people were called extreme couponers. And essentially the side uh, that America saw was hoarders who would buy like 50 bottles of laundry detergent and, you know, a hundred shampoos or whatever, all with coupons. So they would get all this free, these free products from the stores because they would use coupons. Um, now I had adopted this, this, um, skill because I didn't have money for groceries. (laughs) So I had to become resourceful. And so I used coupons to cover my groceries. Um, and, So I wasn't from Nashville. I'm from Florida. I'm a Florida girl, but I was just gutsy enough to call my Etsy store Music City Sewing. And honestly, it just kind of stuck. So now MCS, um, you know, it's, it's become this booming entertainment based sewing business, but as it started, it was actually just a side hustle. I never intended for it to be a full-time thing. And here we are. (laughs) Uh, I honestly, I had huge ambitions to work in the music industry. And so that's what I pursued. Fast forward to three years later, uh, after I started the Etsy side hustle, I was working in live entertainment production. I carried three iPhones on me at all times. I was exhausted and burnt out. I had stomach ulcers and my hair was falling out. I think I was only like 23 or 24 at this point. I can't remember. Um, But I still honestly felt like my true talents were underutilized. And at that point, I didn't realize that the gifts and talents I had were actually entrepreneurial. They weren't just logistics or operations or business. So I had made up my mind. My last big show was the Rolling Stones here in Nashville. And I, you know, like go out all out, right? Um, So that was the last one that I did um, from a production standpoint. Uh, And then after that, I just knew that I had to quit. Like it was just like the compass inside of me said it's time. And straight up, I had no idea (laughs) what I was going to do for money. Like no idea. Like I, I, I can tell you confidently, I had less than like two grand to my name. (laughs) Um, I am more of the kind of girl who jumps and sews a parachute on the way down. Um, Some people think that that's absolutely crazy and they need a plan and they need an exit strategy. And then other people are going to be just like me. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to figure it out. So after I quit, I fell back into mending things for people. And then I would occasionally hem bridesmaids dresses. But see, there's a saying that goes, the harder you work, the better your luck gets. So What started as that broke girl driving her just as broke Jeep around town to pick up those little alterations from her neighbors and bring them home and sew them on her Craigslist desk grew into me costuming rock stars and pop stars and figuring things out and eventually building an operation that involves me bringing numerous stitchers to come pull a chair up at the table and help me knock out that work. Which brings me to my whole point of this first episode, and that's success. We are starting a new year. Uh, We're all praying it looks nothing like 2020. 
Um, and so I want to share with you one of my goal setting strategies. Um, but first there's a phrase that one of my mentors introduced to me and it's helped guide me and shape my business over the last year or so. And so I just want to share it with you here from the start, just to kick off the podcast, because I think it's really important for you to anchor your why and have something you can revisit as you work through your own creative endeavors. The phrase goes, I feel most successful when, and then you fill in that blank. So for me, I feel most successful when I'm riding my horse every day. So I mentioned it in the start, but I have a horse. She's actually a Mustang. (laughs) So she was a wild animal that I adopted from the Bureau of Land Management uh, about four years ago. Um, I got her right around when I started building my company. And so Um, I adopted a wild feral animal and I decided that I was going to tame it. And so that's what I did. Um, and you know, my relationship with her has grown. The trust has grown. The partnership has just become this beautiful thing alongside me building my business. And she has taught me so many lessons, um, that I've been able to carry into entrepreneurship and just being, being a better human. Um, but yeah, uh, she absolutely has dictated the directions that I want to take with my plans um, because she's just that big of a part of my life. She's one of my biggest passions in life. And so my decisions start to um, make some space for her. So for me, saying that I feel so most successful when I ride my horse every day actually means a lot of things had to happen. If I'm not a good leader or operator of the business that I've built, then I'm stuck working 18-hour days. If I don't put the right people in the right positions where they excel best, then their tasks are not going to be finished before sunset. And it's not like I'm just going to leave my team to finish their work alone if they need my guidance or just my support. If I don't estimate the work properly or set correct expectations around when projects will be complete for my clients, you better believe I'll be staying late, (laughs) rushing to finish things under an already too tight deadline. All of these things lead to me not feeling successful because I'm not going to end up having time to ride my horse. When I batch my days task by task and I show up early and I prepare the work for my team to do each day and communicate with everyone effectively, it becomes a well-oiled machine. And I 100% feel confident in everyone's ability to tie up any loose ends before the day is over, whether I need to stay and work alongside my team or not. So yes, I feel most successful when I ride my horse every day. So episode one, lesson one, let's pull the thread. I would highly encourage you to identify exactly what makes you feel successful. Because once you get clear on what makes you feel successful, you can actually reverse engineer from what it looks like backwards into what your tangible next steps are. You feeling successful could mean you grab breakfast with other creatives before you jump into a day of making, or it could be shutting off your sewing machine or closing your computer at 3 p.m. every day because you want to spend the rest of your day with your kids, or maybe it's expensive lattes to start the day and pricey cocktails to close it out. Whatever that looks like, call it what it is and own it because when you get clear on what success looks like for you, it'll make your next steps a little clearer. So I want to share that goal setting tool that I told you about. Um, I have met all of my goals every year for the last three years in a row since using this tool. Um, I got it from my mentor, 
like more than three years ago, I think, um, Jenna Kutcher and, uh, it's beautiful. I don't know what it is, but there's something about it that is so task, um, and action oriented and it just simplifies everything and just makes it all feel a little bit more doable. So yeah, even in 2020, which is totally wild to me, and I'm a, but I'm a big advocate for celebrating your wins, even when it's an unpopular thing. Um, but I reached my income goal, I reached my impact goal, and I reached my personal goal. So, and that's the framework: is you set three goals for yourself. Um, we actually had our most successful financial year this year, um, which I'm still in disbelief because that was a crazy goal. Um, I genuinely feel like I made an even bigger impact than what I set out to do because I had no idea that we were rolling into a full-blown global pandemic. Um, But I mean, we were even able to make over 7,000 masks for healthcare professionals and memory care centers in Middle Tennessee. Um, We were able to do a lot of good, a lot of good. And that just like, I love that. Um, and then my personal goal was to continue learning Italian and to ride my horse every day. (laughs) And I got way close to that. (laughs) So once you've done this exercise of realizing exactly what makes you feel most successful, I want to outline this goal setting tool for you so that if you want to do it, I mean, I say go for it because it's worked for me. Um, but so every year I set three goals for myself. The first one is in income. My first goal is how much do I want to make this year? And you know what's funny is the way that I arrived on that wasn't just choosing an arbitrary number. It was realizing that in order for me to ride my horse every day, I needed help so that I wasn't sewing until midnight every night. Like I am past the point on sewing 12 to 18 hour days. If I need help, I need to be able to afford to pay people whether they're part-time or full-time. So my income goal not only stacked how much I needed to earn to survive and live the life that I wanted to live, but also to support a team because that in turn supports me and my personal goals and my my vision of success. My second goal was an impact goal. Who do I want to impact and how? For me, that goal was that I wanted to impact people in entertainment. And obviously, that shifted a ton in 2020 because my industry went away. So before, I was dressing rock stars, and we were making backdrops and piano covers and riser skirts, all the glitters, right? I was making costumes and clothing for artists on stage, and my team was doing patches and tag application for the merchandise that artists sold while they were on tour. So all three divisions of my company relied on live entertainment and concerts happening. So in 2020, I had to go backwards and go, okay, yeah, that was great and all. (laughs) And I know that your overhead is that of a four-year-old company, but you now need to rebuild your entire business in just a few months to support the size that it's already grown to be over the past four years. So yeah, that was a bit of a challenge. (laughs) But what I was going to say was the impact goal changed. Because who I needed to impact actually changed. So rather than wanting to impact artists and fans who would attend shows, I now needed to impact designers and makers, um, people who wanted to design and put styles and things out into the world as I launched my small batch manufacturing division. And actually right before that, I was now impacting healthcare workers and we just started making masks just immediately. Like, okay, this is what we're going to do. 
we're going to, we're going to make masks as many as we can make, and we're just going to donate them and it's going to work out. And it, it did like, I'll, I'll share that story because man, <laughs> it's all unbelievable. Um, but basically the tasks that allow me to reach goals one and two actually add up to create me to f- space for me to feel successful and reach my third goal. Um, and that's my personal goals, whether that's like shutting down before sunset and going to ride my horse each day if I want to, or working on my Italian lessons. So getting those first two goals in place um, created space for the third. There are a series of little decisions that you make throughout the day that help you decide whether or not at the end of the day you're going to feel successful. So whatever you need to feel successful, allow that to help you fill in the blanks on your first two goals because you're going to be able to reverse engineer those goals all the way down to your day-to-day decisions in building a craft-based business. And that's what I'm going to work you through right here. Now, once you've got that income goal and your impact goal put in place, your last goal is the personal So this is going to be a goal that has nothing to do with work, nothing to do with making money, just something that lights you up personally, whether that's getting in shape, getting healthier, or learning a new language, or planning to take a trip, whatever that looks like for you, go ahead and set that goal. For me, for the last two years in a row, it's been learning Italian, and then um, this past year as well, I had set the goal of, of trying to feel in my most successful, authentic self, and that's when I make space to ride my horse every day. So once those goals are set in place for you and you've written them out, the next thing that you're going to do is you're going to go, okay, income goal. What are three ways that I can make that money? And you're going to list them out. And one of them might be an idea for your craft-based business. It might be an entrepreneurial creative idea that's just kind of burning a hole in your heart. (laughs) Whatever that looks like for you, you want to write out three, three ways to make that money. After you've got that income goal written out and the three tasks that you would take to make that money, the next one's going to be impact. You're going to do the exact same thing for this goal. You're going to write out three ways that you can make that impact. Now, this is actually the foundation of your craft-based business or your sewing business or your side hustle. Whatever you're trying to build, what you just wrote out is actually the building blocks to it. How much do you need to make of this? Is this just a side hustle or are you trying to make a leap to full time? See, as we reverse engineer back, it's going to help us live this life that we love and what makes us feel most successful. So once you've got those out of the way, set in stone, (laughs) ready to go after, um, do the exact same thing for your third goal. For instance, um, for me, if it's learning Italian, then I'm going to set the automatic reminder that every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday morning at 9 a.m., I'm going to get a push notification from my Babbel app that reminds me to um, to start the clock on the day learning a little bit of a foreign language. And so that was one thing. And then the second thing was, you know, make a friend that also speaks Italian. And I did that. And we'll talk back and forth in Italian. Um, so, you know, you list out several different things that are going to help you achieve those goals because in the end, What you've actually just done when you zoom out and look at the page is you've created nine tasks for yourself that you could put on a to-do list or break down even further into slightly more specific action items to achieve those goals. And once you start putting those nine things on the calendar and you keep going, you keep showing up for yourself and you keep doing them, 
by the end of the year, you're going to hit that goal. So I really hope that this brought you some value. This goal setting structure is just crazy for me to see uh, over the course of the last few years because on my first year, I can look back and I will tell you my income goal was $36,000. And to me, it was a crazy number because I'd never done that before. And I, I literally felt like I was like printing money when people would pay me to sew because I love sewing. And so I couldn't believe that that was even possible. And it turns out I just needed some expanding because as the years have gone by and the goal has doubled and then tripled and then quadrupled <laughs> and so on, every time we keep blowing it out of the water because we reverse engineer our success and we reverse engineer our big goals into tangible and actionable to-do list items. And then we put them in our planner and we do them and cross them off. And that's what we're going to do in episode two is I am going to teach you how to take those goals, turn them into fully fledged functioning craft-based businesses. We're going to talk about exactly how to take those goals and turn them into fully fledged functioning craft-based businesses. And we're also going to broach the conversation of knowing if your skills are good enough, if you're good enough to sell what you make. I'll see you then and happy new year. You've just finished an episode of Pull the Thread podcast. It means the world to me that you landed here and hit play. If you got something out of this podcast, anything at all, please hit that subscribe button. And if you're feeling mega generous, leave a review. Catch you next time.